All right. I am so excited for this interview episode of Breakthrough Marketing Secrets. I have Drayton Bird on the line. And before we get started, normally I ask a question to like get people excited, but I want to tell you a little story about the first time I saw Drayton speak. It was at AWAI in Delray Beach, Florida, a few years back. And during Drayton's presentation, Drayton talked a lot about his life and he has lived a very colorful life and a very interesting life. Um, but as I was listening to his presentation, he, uh, the woman next to me just kept huffing and huffing. She'd hear him say something about his life, a little story, and she'd huff and he'd say something else and she'd huff. And uh, eventually she just got up and walked out and did not come back for the rest of Drayton's presentation. Now, I later had a wonderful conversation that lasted for hours in the Delray Beach Marriott Bar with Drayton. And really enjoyed it and feel like he has so much to teach us about direct marketing, as, as you'll know from his bio in a second. Um, but if you're easily offended by people who live a life that's not quite the same as yours, you probably want to skip this because I, you, I'll go ahead and assume that we're going to put the not safe for work or, or um, a, adult tag on this episode and that Drayton's going to just share details from his life and um, also share a lot about what works in copywriting and direct marketing. Drayton, thank you so much for agreeing to be here. Thank you and welcome to Breakthrough Marketing Secrets. My pleasure. <laughs> when you say breakthrough, it suddenly occurs to me, one of the people that I first worked with who actually offered me a job was Gene Schwartz. And I think it's the... His book is Breakthrough Advertising. He offered yes, me a job, and I, and I I didn't take it um, because he gave me a test. He said, I've got this book I'm selling. Uh, he said, will you write a headline for it? And I'll write, a, and I, you know, see what you can, you know. So I wrote a headline for it, and the headline was something very close to, is this the most immoral book ever written? <laughs> And Gene, Gene said, let me show you the headline I've written for the ad. And it was, is this the most, it was the most extraordinary, it was almost identical. And I thought, <laughs> I can't work with this man. He's too, he's, I was terrified, so I never worked <laughs> for him. But he gave me lots of advice. Um, he introduced me to modern art. I went, he took yes. me around with his wife, a very beautiful woman. Uh, he was a completely crazy, you know. I think he was. a little bit of madness is. Uh, I remember him telling me about how he'd once gone gone broke. I've gone broke several times. I recommend it. It's a very, <laughs> <laughs> it's a very instructive experience. Um, I, uh, and he uh, told me he had to climb in through the toilet window to get some of his stock that he <laughs> stole that was locked up by the whoever whoever he owed money to. He was. Oh my goodness. He was fun. Oh, it sounds like you were in great company there. Um, <laughs> all right. So the formal bio, and then we'll get into all the crazy stories, okay. including things like selling your agency to David Ogilvy. But um, Drayton Bird is one of the most illustrious and celebrated copywriters and direct marketers Britain has ever produced. Uh, David Ogilvy, founder of Ogilvy & Mather, once said, Drayton Bird knows more about direct marketing than anyone in the world. Gary Bensavinga told Drayton, your books are among my most valued possessions and easily among the greatest ever written on advertising right up there with those by Caples, Ogilvy, Schwab, Reeves, and Hopkins. Joe Sugarman said his books are witty and practical, but never boring. Completely agree with that. 
Uh, Drayton's been honored by the Chartered Institute of Marketing, the Royal Society of Arts, the Institute of Direct Marketing, the Direct Marketing Association of India, the Caples Organization, and more. His book, Common Sense, Direct and Digital Marketing, uh, which I have a copy right here, has been the UK's bestseller on the subject every year since. And this makes me feel young or him feel old. The year I was born, 1982. Um, and, and he actually built and sold a direct response ad agency to David Ogilvy and became the worldwide creative director at Ogilvy and Mather Direct. So Drayton, I'm sure that you get asked to trot out this story every time. Uh, let's start with the story every drag marketer wants to hear. There was a point in your life where you say you went from zero to the top in under four years. It included building the biggest direct marketing agency in Britain and selling your agency to David Ogilvy. What happened? What took you to the top? You know, what can we learn from that? Was this was this the bit where I lived under a false name? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think this is where you finally pulled yourself out from living under the false name. Well, if, if what, I recall. What happened was um, I started out as a copywriter um, 62 years ago, I worked out the other day, at a time when nobody knew what a copywriter was. In yes. fact, when I, my, my father had a pub, and my father was very proud of me, um, a man of poor judgment. <laughs> um, and he said, you know, Drayton's got this amazing job in London and they're, being him, they're paying him blah, blah, blah as a copywriter. And nobody at the bar knew what a copywriter was. Yes. And to this day, a lot of people who say they're copywriters don't really know what a copywriter is, but that's another subject. Yeah. But um, I, I got, I, I'd actually walked out of university um, because I was bored. Um, and I was doing the Spanish oral, and the woman said, um, le gusta la universidad? which means, how do you like the university? I said, no me gusta mucho. <laughs> <laughs> and she said, came I said, what are you going to do? And I said, I'm going to leave. She said, are you going to leave? I said, yes. She said, I'm going to leave now. She said, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to be a writer. And I got a job as a writer uh, shortly after that um, on a magazine. And I was very, very lucky because the guy who worked for me had studied philosophy. Okay. And I knew nothing about philosophy. And he recommended one book to me, The History of Western Philosophy by Bertrand Russell. And that taught me to think. I read that book. But I didn't go into advertising for quite a while. Uh, a couple of years, less than a, about 18 months. And the minute I started doing it, I thought, oh, I love this. I did do one thing which I recommend to a lot of people, and most of whom haven't done it, and that is before I even got a job, I read every blasted book I could find on advertising. I'm astonished at how little many copywriters in particular have studied advertising uh, as much as they should. Yeah, I have very, very a huge bookshelf over there that I, yeah, I went through those. I, I um, constantly am going through books on advertising, marketing, business, and psychology, and so on. Um, yeah. And now Audible is a friend because I can learn a lot. I, I just <laughs> listened to your "You Did What." Um, I had read it before. I don't think it was available as an audiobook yet. Uh, but but I I, I no, went is, through it again. It is, it is available as an audio book. Well, 
It is now because I just went through it yeah. before talking to you. It's a very strange thing because when I went to record uh, Life is Stranger Than Fiction, actually yes. there's a famous uh, f- um, physicist of the 1930s who said life is not only queerer than we, queerer than we imagine, it is queerer than we can imagine. And um, I'm re- really, really surprised uh, at the way things turned out for me, I must say, from a <laughs> business where nobody knew what I was doing, including me. <laughs> <laughs> so to selling so, the damn thing to Ogilvy, but I went through a t- terrible period. Uh, started out, got a job in an agency eventually, uh, then got a really good job at Leo Burnett in London, and then I got a, I was a creative director when I was about 26, I think, something like that. And uh, because I'd studied all the things that uh, had gone on in the past, I started yes. to introduce things that people hadn't done for years. For instance, there was a typeface called Cheltenham Bold, which has the physical impact of somebody hitting you between their eyes. <laughs> so I introduced that uh, to my advertising. So I was able to practice with all the things I wanted to do. But then my life changed. Um, I wrote a, a memo to the the chairman of the agency I was working for and, and said, I've done some research and 18 of the top 25 agencies in the world are run by copywriters. You should put me on your board of directors. So he sort of took me, he said, come and have lunch at the Grove. <laughs> I had lunch, he said, now calm down, you know, be patient, blah, blah, blah. And I thought, screw this. Um, I'm, I'm not going to hang around here. Um, yeah. And I met people, uh, including Gene Schwartz. Um, American copywriters who were doing a lot of mail order and had come okay. over to England to rape the rape Europe financially. And so I met all these guys and I learned okay. from them. And, and I sold, I wrote at that period, the best thing I probably ever wrote in terms of, of its longevity. I had a... a, a a bodybuilding product. They had a bodybuilding product called a Bullworker. And my ex-director at the agency I was working at called me and said, come and have lunch. Said, we have something we want to show you. And they showed me this product. And then they showed me the advertising. And they asked what I thought of it. And I told them. And they said, do you think you could sell it? And I said, I said, I reckon I could sell a thousand of those a week. And they said, if yeah. you could sell a thousand of those a week, uh, we'll give you a piece of the business. So that's where I started uh, really getting involved in the mail order business and the realities of the mail order business. Yeah. So they, they showed me the, the ads for the product uh, in October. And in May, we were selling a thousand a week. And by next September, they'd gone broke because they got all their numbers wrong. <laughs> <laughs> the realities of the mail order business. Yeah. Well, uh, David Ogilvy said famously, uh, the first time he wrote something that produced a response, he said, I had tasted blood. <laughs> <laughs> so I had tasted blood. And I'm like, wow. Yeah, and I you get your first success. 
you get you get that first success, that first excitement of like, oh my oh, goodness, fantastic! Because I tried. Yeah. I mean, the, when I as soon as I was aware of mail order, I started trying to solve things by mail order. Yes, uh, and I failed. And then I I did one ad that would have made me very very rich, and it's, a lot of people <laughs> ask me about this story. And in those days, there was a fashion for little hair pieces for women, what the French called postiche, like okay. little imitation buns. So I wrote an ad, um, and I got a friend of mine whose father had an office. We could use the office address. I wrote the ad. We ran the ad on the Saturday, and on the and we went to his father's office on the Monday because he couldn't get in on a Sunday in those days yeah. um, to see how we'd done. And we couldn't open the door of his bloody office. And we were going crazy. We can't get in. We can't get in. Eventually, yeah. we got in. The reason we couldn't get in was there were piles of envelopes full of money behind the door. <laughs> and we, well, I worked out that we, we could have retired on that. Yeah. yeah. The next thing that happened was that the guy that we were working with, a hairdresser, he, he, we, we had to have people had to send a sample of their hair so we could match it. Yeah? Okay. Some idiot in his business had left the hair samples next to an open window. Yeah, a little bit of breeze. Well, he went to our profit. And then the hairdresser decided that uh, he would do he could do it. He'd seen how easy it was. So he wrote something which didn't work. We didn't make any money. He didn't make any money. And that was my first taste of uh, success and failure. And, and I yeah. think one of the, it's very good for people in this business to uh, don't just preach practice. So one of the best uh, uh, people I ever employed is a guy who, uh, who's still in Singapore, he, he, he was named the top creative director in Asia five years running. He runs his okay. own agency. And I was very impressed because he was an art director. And then he started running ads to sell things. Yeah. And I said, well, why are you doing that? And he said, I think I should know what it's like. And a lot of the people that... Um, in our business who work as copywriters and so on and so on, don't actually have not had the experience of practicing what they speak. And I think that that that, that by chance was something I did and kept on doing. Um, yeah. To the point that I went broke. <laughs> again, again. What? I started a business. <laughs> I started a business with a guy. What happened to Skype? This guy got in touch with me. And he said, you don't know me. He said, but I know you. I could tell you what ads you've written. And I said, really? And he said, yeah. yeah. And I said, what, what ads have I written? And he told me. I said, bloody hell. I said, I said what do you do? He said, well, I'm an executive of an agency in Fleet Street. He said, but I do my own ads. Okay. And he sent me a copy of one of the ads he'd done. And it was, and this was a period when you know these balls that bounce very high. Okay, yeah. They just come in, and he'd okay. run an ad, and it was an ad which featured a ball bouncing over the Eiffel Tower, and I thought, wow, what, <laughs> what a bright boy! So he said, look, he said, I think I've got a, a, a product that we could start a business with. 
Yeah. And I said, really? And he said, yeah. He said, there's this guy. He's he's uh, he's spent too much money and he needs to get out of the country because he can't pay his debts. But if we paid him enough money to catch the plane back to Canada where he comes from, we could have the product. Yeah. And, and so we did. We paid for this guy. His name was Artis, I still remember. And we had this product, which was a piano playing course. Okay. And so we started, we ran an ad for the piano playing course. We wondered, why wasn't he making any money? And he wasn't making any money for a simple reason, because what happened was he would sell people a book on how to play the piano. Yes. And then six weeks later, he would send them an email, not an email, they didn't even have emails then, yeah. a letter saying, how would you like to buy a recorded version of this thing? And people yeah. would buy it. And we sat down and we thought, this guy's an idiot. He should be selling the record immediately. Yeah. And that's what we did. And we started a mail order business. We had we were selling all kinds of we started a recording business. We had a warehouse. We had we had everything except common sense. <laughs> <laughs> because one of the products we said uh, we sold was a fire extinguisher, um, which nobody had sold before, which was manual instead of a big okay. fire example. And uh, a newspaper ran an article saying uh, that the thing was a fake and it didn't work, blah, blah, blah. And we went to a lawyer who went, like lawyers do, mm, he said, you will undoubtedly recover. And I said, <laughs> what do you mean will undoubtedly recover? He said, well, I mean, you'll win the case. And then he said, mind you, he said, these newspaper Johnnies sit it out. I said, what do you mean they sit it out? He said, well, it'll take two years to get to court. I said, we'll be broke in three weeks. Yeah. Which we were. And that was my first experience of public speaking, apart from somebody's wedding, because uh, I had to speak to the creditors. And they were all very, very angry. <laughs> they were very, very angry indeed, because we'd been selling franchises for every city in, in England. Yeah. And all of a sudden, these people were, their cash flow went into reverse. It wasn't just one guy business that was. Yeah, one guy called me up and he said, I'm going to come and break your legs. And my partner wants to leave the country. I said, no, we'll go through with it. And we had a few drinks, went to the creditors' meeting. And it was absolutely terrifying. <laughs> um, all these people, you know, they'd lost their money. Yeah. And I, I didn't know. So I stood up and I said, look, I said, I'm very, very sorry about, about this. I feel ashamed, unhappy, and can't sleep. Well. I said, but I'd just like to say one thing. I'm, I'm looking at you, all of you here, and you're all mature, intelligent, sophisticated people. So, and you know that when you go into business, sometimes you make money, sometimes you lose money. I made yeah. some money and I lost some money, and I'm very, very sorry. And the guy who said he was going to come and break my leg came up to me and said, I'd like to shake you by the hand. He said, you're obviously an honest man. Yeah. And a very That's famous... Advertising man called John Metcalf, who ran one of the biggest agencies in London, came up to me and shook me by the hand. He said, you will undoubtedly be a millionaire one day. Of course, he didn't know how much my second wife was going to take off me, but that's another thing. <laughs> it, it comes and it goes, right? <laughs> it comes, in my case, it came like that and then... <laughs> very good for you, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, you don't want it to happen, but it builds character. And I, I think most people who get to 
where you are or anywhere close in, in understanding a business have been through a few cycles. Um, yeah. But my stupidity never ceased, ceased to amaze me. Anyway, you sent me some really intelligent questions and I'm so shut up and I shall answer them as intelligently well, as I can. <laughs> well, so, so how did all of this, like you were, you were experimenting a lot, you were putting a lot of money into your own direct response businesses. Yeah. But then one day you said, okay, I'm going to start an agency. And then a couple of years later, David Ogilvy bought it from you. Um, like what, what was that transition like? And, and Well, well, I've been, I think you must keep an eye on what's going on in the world. And I could see that uh, all of a sudden, direct response was becoming important. And I had two friends and we went out and got drunk on champagne behind Bond Street. I always start as you mean to carry on, that's the main thing. <laughs> and I said, let's start a business together. And so we started this business and it was successful, not merely because what we did worked, but because um, we charge more than anyone else. <laughs> but more importantly, the most important thing was, if you look at the way people sell businesses, yeah, okay, yeah, you will find that they tend to to follow one particular pursuit. One people, for instance, today will send you messages on uh, emails, you know, saying oh, I can yeah. change your life and bullshit. Uh, Others will use telephone marketing. Uh, some, a very few, will advertise because advertising agencies will tell you to advertise but aren't very keen on doing it themselves. Some will go to events and meet people. Uh, some will um, go to anywhere they could think they're going to get the work. They'll, they'll do anything to make money. What we did was we did everything. We ran advertisements in the direct response magazine and in uh, marketing magazine. We okay. attended every single event where we thought we could make money. One of my partners used to, used to love going to events. And I'd say, you can go to an event as long as you can prove me before you go that you're going to make more money at that event than when you, if you didn't go. So we used direct lessons. mail. I wrote a column for the... I made friends with the guy who'd started the first direct, a magazine called Direct Response. I wrote a column for him. I wrote an anonymous, <laughs> an anonymous <laughs> column in a newsletter he produced under the name of Hopkins, which is a, a name I'm very fond of. Um, we just did everything. Other people yeah. did some things. We did everything. And in fact, it, it, it did in fact take three years from the moment we started to the time that we were the biggest. And it took, okay. uh, it actually took seven years before Ogilvy bought us. What happened was that because we had uh, sort of publicized ourselves more than anyone else, uh, first yeah. of all, we were the biggest very quickly. But secondly, there was a phase at that time, and you have to keep an eye on what's going on in the world, you know? Yeah. There was a phase at that time for the big advertising agencies that suddenly realised that direct response was important to their clients. And so they were all going around buying up agencies. 
Yeah. And we were approached by eight of the top 20 agencies in the world. One of which was Ogilvy, and the Ogilvy one came about because somebody had written something stupid about David Ogilvy in the, a magazine called Campaign, which is the big advertising magazine. And I'd written a letter saying this guy was a complete lunatic, and I was going to use foul language, but I know you've got a sensitive audience out there. There might be some <laughs> lady there sitting there. I don't think I can stand another minute of this man. Um, so... I wrote a letter to the to campaign saying this fellow was a buffoon and that Ogilvy, he wasn't fit to lick Ogilvy's boots. And then the next day the phone rang and Ogilvy, it was David Ogilvy here. And I put my hand over the phone over the, and I turned to my PA and I said, <laughs> David Ogilvy on the line. <laughs> And he said, that was a very nice letter of it, but I said, well, sorry. And he said, well, thank you very much. And the next day, the chairman of Ogilvy and Mather in Europe, the highest paid man in British advertising at the time, became a great friend of mine. He rang me and said, that was a very nice uh, letter you wrote to me. Would you like to have lunch? <laughs> and this guy could drink you, me, and any five other people under the table. So... In no time at all, we were talking about how much uh, they should pay. And they had a problem. They had an agency in London, which was very bad. It wasn't a real, genuine Ogilvy agency. The man who ran it used to sit in his office with the door closed. Idiot. That's the wrong way to run a business. I used to walk around my... Actually, David came in one day after they bought the business and he said, he said, Drayton, he said, he said, what do you actually do? And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, you're not the chairman, you're not the creative director, you're not the managing director. What do you do? I said, I'm in charge of entertainment, David. <laughs> he said, what do you mean? I said, well, I, my job is to go around and make people enjoy things so much that they arrive early and leave late and enjoy the intervening period. <laughs> and I used to walk around with a funny hat on my head, dictating copy. I used to, I've always dictated my copy. And edit, I dictated, and I, then I edited and edited and edited and edited, never less than five times. I even I send out emails um, to our list every day of the week, and we we send out <clears throat> the best ones that we've run previously, okay. and then twice a week now I write a new one. Okay. And I will rewrite that thing five, six, seven. My PA is here, and I drive her bloody mad because I'll change something, and then, then I'll, then I'll get. Oh, I mean, you remember what I said yesterday? I've changed my mind. I think we should change the adding. Blah 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 blah. Constantly fiddling, but um, I, I think um, the key, above all, is to find the right people, and and make them love working for you. In fact, there is a very famous advertisement written in, in about 19, I think 1928, something like that. And it, the headline is, there is only one answer to every advertising problem. Find the man. Yes. Which in those days, of course, was uh, uh, <clears throat> most, most of the, although, although some of the finest copywriters of that period uh, were women, the creative director of J. Walsh Thompson, whose husband ran the agency, she was a woman, obviously, being a she. Yeah. Um, 
And there were other great copywriters uh, who were women. Um, I, I don't know how many of you have got 100 Greatest Advertisements, which is a book uh, published originally in the 1950s of the 100 Greatest Advertisements at that time. And I, I read it constantly because uh, in the words of uh, one great man, times change, people don't. Yes. <laughs> and this yes. Is, it so amuses the hell out of me. I look at the stuff that people are running now and I can often see things which are echoes yeah. of what was written 100, maybe 100 years ago by people well, like Lord Hopkins. So I was I was really surprised uh, when the Robert Collier letter book first started getting reprinted, and I opened it up, and I was I was going through the Robert Collier letter book um, to find like penny letters and nickel letters, which became dollar bill letters with Gary Halbert, and it was like this was used a hundred years before, well maybe not a hundred before Halbert. But it's just something that he brought back and became very effective for him because it's the exact same principles. And there's so much gold like that that you can find in so many different old advertising books. And the superficial details may be different, but something like that, you know, sticking a penny to the to the direct mail letter, find the relevance today. Make it yeah. modern, make it, make it fit you. He was, a, he was a very talented man. I only got to know him. Uh, he, he, he contacted me once and then he contacted me just before he died. I said, how are you doing? Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. And we started talking and then a week later he was dead. Very sad. Oh my, yeah. Um, but he was a lunatic. I do like lunatics, <laughs> you know? It's, it's your company. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I, um, I, why, why, why be like everyone else? Because if you're like everyone else, you might just as well never have lived. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, so, so John Carlton talks about good copywriting coming out like a barstool conversation. And you grew up in a pub. And you later said that that's. You felt that that contributed to your your ability. That's, that helped to get me my first job. I was working yeah. for this magazine, and a very very well connected guy, friend of Princess Margaret, blah blah blah. He said, "You know, you do well in advertising. I knew nothing about advertising." So I went to the public library in Manchester and read, or started to read both. The, there are only two books on advertising. One was rubbish, but the other one was a fantastic book. And I thought, wow, this I really I like the sound of this. And then I yeah. took a course and I had no money. I, I had a wife, a son. I lived in a two, a house, what's called a two up and two down house, two bedroom upstairs, two rooms downstairs. We were the only one in the row that, that had a bath. Yeah. <laughs> so people yeah. would come and say, Can I marry you use your bath on Wednesday night? <laughs> <laughs> So and I when I eventually I managed to get an interview with a guy in Liverpool, and he said um, he said why should I he said we we people have to work here for a while before they make the copywriters why should I give you a job yeah and I said um, hmm I said because I can write he said can you I said yes he said prove it and I said well here are some uh, of the 
the, the, the I used to write the leader pages for this magazine I worked for. Okay. <laughs> 22 writing leader pages. He said, oh, yes, you can write. And he said, what other reason uh, should I give to give you, give you a job? And I said, well, I, I, I think to be a copywriter, you've got to have a lot of knowledge about all sorts of things. And he said, yes, yes you're right. He said, um, he said, what's the difference between the way a two-stroke engine works and a four-stroke engine works? And I have to tell you, I can't bloody drive a car. To this day, I cannot. I've owned Rolls Royces and blah, blah, blah. I cannot drive a car. But I knew the difference between the two engines. And I told him, and he said, you're quite right. And he said, uh, what's the name of the Plymouth Evening newspaper? I had no bloody idea. I said, I'm afraid of that. He said, no, but you do have a good fund of knowledge. He said, what other reason can you give me why I should give you a job? So I said, I understand human nature. I said, I think that's where the money comes from. He said, how, how come you understand human nature? You're very young, aren't you? 21, 22? Yeah. I said, I was brought up in a pub. Oh, he said, really? And he said, how did that help you? I said, well, we had two types of clientele, so very rich people and very poor people. And so I understand people. And I don't know whether I told him one of my favourite stories. But I used to talk to two, three old guys who sit in the vault, which is where you pay a cheaper price for the beer. And they always used to talk to me after they complained about the fact that their, their, their glasses weren't full enough. <laughs> and then there was one of them would say to the other, to, to what the, one of them was a guy called Alec, who was bald as a coop like me now, and he had a, always wore his hat. And they said, Tell young Drake now the wife left the Alec. <laughs> and Alec said, went out to loaf to get a loaf of bread one Saturday morning, never came back. <laughs> so I really, I, the, one of the great poets uh, of the 18th century uh, said, the proper study of mankind is man. So I, I'm fascinated by people. Yeah. And you notice that some of the great um, commercials, the long-form commercials that started appearing in the 1950s, which would last for an hour, um, they were based on people who just went and saw street corner hawkers and how they sold and photographed, yeah. videoed them, and then edited it down. So, well, uh, salesmanship in print uh, is the way it was put uh, by the first. By Hopkins. Group. Yeah. No, it wasn't Hopkins who said that. <laughs> it was the. Wait, no. Um, it was Johnny Kennedy. It was um, Johnny Kennedy. Yes. An alcoholic, a man, a man after my own heart. Um, <laughs> I repeated by Hopkins. I uh, <laughs> worked with him. Yes. Yeah, I think uh, he drank too much, actually, Johnny, Johnny Kennedy. Um, Aha. And um, so did I for 30 years. Um, I don't, I, I'm, very, I'm very lucky. I was saved by the love of a good woman who, stopped, who cut me back. I was frightened. <laughs> she frightened me to death. Frightened yeah. me to death. And very now you take sleep. care of yourself a little bit more. Anyhow, what, what else were you going to ask me? About? Um, all right, so so like, well, um, let's 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 go back to those those three qualities that would make you a successful copywriter. And you said it was 
that broad foundation and knowledge, the ability to write and understanding of human beings. You said that when you were 21. Has that list changed today? Um, is there anything you would add to that list today? Well, obviously, it's, it's extraordinarily important that you have studied. Yeah. Uh, and, it's, it's, and, it, and it's extraordinarily important that you have studied in depth. Um, most of the copywriters today, from what I can see, and I do read every day, single day, seven days a week, see what people are saying. They're all obsessed with online. Yeah. yeah. And online is very important. I gave the example, we email every day. Uh, but it's by far, it's only one medium. And if, you, if all you're doing is stuff online, you're like somebody in a big city, like a man who's walking down a, a street in a big city. And he thinks it's the only street there is, but there's another street there and another street there and a street going there and a street going. So I think there are about 12 different disciplines uh, that you need to understand fully uh, in order to consider yourself a complete uh, copywriter or advertising man or marketer. Um, they are face-to-face -face selling and the experience of these things is good. I've had to sell face-to-face. -face. Uh, you've got to understand public relations, which I've also worked in. Um, you've got to understand television, obviously. You've got to understand the various media. You've got to understand print. Uh, and you've got to understand certain techniques. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and my favourite example is guerrilla marketing. Okay. And I, very interesting. Uh, somebody sent me, I have people who correspond with me from all over the world, and I find it interesting <clears throat> to learn from them. And one of them the other day sent me a thing and said, somebody's obviously read your story. And this is a story I told about when my young daughter, who's now a rather successful singer in Los Angeles, um, uh, was going to school. Um, I used to go and see her in Montclair, New Jersey, when I was living in or visiting New York a great deal. And on the way to Montclair one time on the bus, I noticed a, a, tele, one of the, a telegraph pole, I suppose it was, Okay. And on the telegraph pole, there was a little note. <clears throat> and it said, we pay best prices for houses. Uh, yes. Property. Ring so and so. And underneath it was another message said, we pay more than them. <laughs> Ring so and so. That's guerrilla marketing, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. So you have to be, you have to be alert to possibilities. You have to, in order to beat the other guy, you've got to go where the other guy doesn't go. You've got to consider the unconsidered. Uh, it's, it's, people compare business to warfare, and this is the equivalent of outflanking your enemy. Yeah? Yes. And that's what you've got to try and do. Every time you look at something that's doing well and somebody comes along to you and says, well, do you think you can beat that? Then yeah. you have to uh, wrap your brains, obviously. 
well, what have you got in your bloody head, yeah? If you've just got the same shit as everyone else, you're going to be in trouble, pal, yeah? Yeah. Because you're competing on the same. Whereas if you can change the playing field, what an opportunity. If you can look at it from a different perspective, if you can say, for instance, I remember many, many years ago, I went to a client who'd been running a certain type of advertisement, and I said, why don't you try cartoons? Never thought of it, yeah? Yeah. I would not have known that. I wouldn't, wouldn't have suggested it if I hadn't spent years studying everything. And so oh, you, you mentioned, uh, here we are, this is on my desk. There are only two books on my desk, and that's one of them. 100 Greatest Advertisements, yeah. yeah. Now, I spent quite a long time analysing many of these advertisements, and I always learned from them, you know. Yeah. There's, there's nothing particularly new. There are, people confuse uh, technological advance with superiority. Technological advance helps you to do things in a different way, through a different medium, perhaps. Yes. But it doesn't automatically give you the thing that you want which is a better idea mm -hmm. so so you in your book you did what you said ideas are the things that make the difference between success and failure boredom and happiness so the better the better ideas like um where where do we get those better ideas like i i feel like i'm asking you something you've already answered here but i'll let you reflect on it why do I think, what were you going to say? Well, um, I don't know. Maybe I'll just agree with you. Where do you find, <laughs> well, I think yeah, where, where in order find to it? find better ideas, you have to forage where other people don't forage. Yeah, so it's, found... it's not just... It's not just about studying, you know, Drayton's copywriting books. It's the completely different books, the completely it's, different subjects. Well, that one thing that people are staggeringly ignorant about yeah. Uh, is history. That we live in a society where everything is today, today. Oh, it's the latest, it's the latest, blah, blah, blah. Yes. I don't find that. I, I, I'm much more intrigued by some of the things that I, that great advertising men have said. Um, times change, people don't. Uh, yeah. One of my favourites is a, a guy who was uh, a, a head of, Batten, Barton, Durston and Osborne, BVD, you know, described yeah. by uh, a great comedian as sounding like a man carrying a heavy trunk down a flight of steps. Batten, Barton, Durston and Osborne. Um, well, I followed this guy because, uh, because the creative director of uh, Ogilvy Direct in New York, uh, a great, great friend of mine, he'd worked for this guy, you know, and yeah. so I started studying what this guy had said. He said some very interesting things. First of all, I started studying him after he died. I read his obituary. And one of the things he said was, honesty is not, not only the best policy, it is rare enough nowadays to make you pleasantly conspicuous. <laughs> and another thing that he used to say to people, when somebody bought him a piece of copy, uh, he would look at it and, he, and then he'd, He'd read, and he'd go to the guy and he said, would you say that to someone you know? Yeah. And there was a great English, I'm very, I have a great thirst for knowledge. 
still. And I remember there was a guy that I wasted a complete day with driving around the south coast to see somebody we never saw. But I talked to him, he, he was much older than me, and I thought, I want to, he's probably had experiences I can learn from. And he'd worked for one of the great advertising men in England. And he told me this story about this man and how he, he would get angry if somebody brought him some bad copy. And he would put, and he had a huge picture of the cup final crowd, which is like, you know, the same, that the, what's the, the one in American football, the, uh, what's the big day? I used to follow American football, I can't remember. You know, the final uh, game. Yeah, like the Super Bowl. The Super Bowl, um, yeah. Well, yeah. The equivalent of the Super Bowl. So he had a picture of all these people on the wall. And he would say to the unhappy writers, those are the people you are writing for. Go away and do it again. <laughs> and that's the other thing. Yeah. I think that, that uh, there is a hidden ingredient um, uh, which some people never deploy because they don't realise how important it is. And that's just passion. If somebody wise, I collect, and if any time somebody says something that's clever, I remember it. You know, somebody once said that good advertising, good copy is the conveyance of emotion. Yes. And it's not just the fact that you're conveying emotion in your copy, it's the fact that you are emotional about, about what you're doing. It, yeah. The old saying if a thing's worth doing, worth doing, it's worth doing well. And I just think someone else said, uh, and again, this was somebody who wrote it. Well, let me, let me Good actually. Good enough never is. Good yeah. enough never is. Yeah. So yeah. how do you, how do you, if you're writing copy for something that is not your product, that is somebody else's product, I mean, you've spent plenty of time doing that. How do you capture that emotion, that emotional oh, it's experience? It's much easier. Much easier if it's not your own product, you know. Okay. And I could be a little bit more, you know. You would you wouldn't believe the stuff that I've bloody sold. I'll tell you one of the things that I'm proudest of selling: okay. playground equipment. <laughs> Guy came along to me and said, "Sell playground equipment." I said, "What do you mean?" He said, "Well, yeah. he said, we make this equipment that goes onto playgrounds, little roundabouts, and this, that, and the other." Yeah. And uh, and I wrote copy for so eight years later. The bloke wrote to me and said, "We're still using your letter." <laughs> Excellent. Uh, oh, God, there's stuff. There is stuff that I. I mean, the, the 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 copy that made me well known in the industry was through a thing called the Bullworker. Yes, that, that I mentioned. Yeah. And, yes, um, you did mention. And that that. That copy, people still bloody quote it to me. <laughs> I had a millionaire in America whose name I can't remember is quite well known. And he said, I'd just like to talk to you, I'd like to interview you. I said, why? He said, because you wrote this ad, he said. I said, I want you <laughs> to tell me how, you, <laughs> how come you wrote the ad? Um, so it's, it's, I don't know, I think you, I think in order to, uh, to succeed, you have to be have to be schizophrenic. You have to be obsessive about what you're doing, but at the same time very detached. Yeah. 
I, when I wrote my first book, which was a novel, which got quite well reviewed, but made no bloody money. <laughs> uh, I was working for an agency in London run by Leo Burnett, the Leo Burnett agency. And you were asking me about the guy who t taught me how to present, the one who appeared in the, the advertising serial. I'll tell you about that. Yeah, yeah. So, I, I was writing away, and this guy said to me, he said, what are you, what are you writing? I said, I said, it's just a private thing. He said, what do you mean it's just a private thing? I said, well, I'm writing a novel. And he said, just remember this. And he was a published novelist. Okay. He said, when you write, the world looks over your shoulder. I thought, Jesus <laughs> Christ, what a statement. <laughs> I, I dreamt about this guy the other night because I really fancied his girlfriend. Um <laughs> And, and it's true, you know, it, it, when you come to to write something and see it printed and, oh, God, you know, what a feeling. But I was going to yeah. tell you, um, I was going to tell you about the guys. Yeah, when I went for, to work for Leo Burnett, I yes. worked for another agency called Leggett Nicholson. Leo Burnett bought it, and then Leo Burnett sent two guys over to teach us how to present. And yes. One of them was the guy after whom the person in the Ad Men was was molded. Yeah, Don Don Draper from Mad Men. Yeah, yeah. And so you met guy, the, the this real guy's life. name was Draper Daniels. He's a very famous copywriter. I can even tell you about the ads he wrote. If you go, if you go into here, there, there are two of his ads in here. Yeah. Okay. You've got to be serious about this shit, you know. Yeah. I know. I know because I'm serious about it. And most yes. people don't know because they're not. That's by the by. So they came to teach us how to present. Yes. And it was the most one of the most valuable things. Because, because as one of the chairman of IBM put the second chairman of the IBM said, nothing happens in business until something gets sold. Yes. Yeah? So they showed us a presentation they'd done to sell a bank in Chicago. Okay. And I learned so much about the how to sell because they did it with the quality that David Ogilvy told me was more important than anything else. They turned around to me, took me out to dinner one night. Being Scots, he always resented it when I ordered more than one course. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you another story about it. It doesn't take long. <clears throat> Anyhow, they made it really funny, you know. Yeah. So I learned how to sell. Um, you made it interesting, compelling. Well, they said fun. That, that it was from Bank of Chicago, and they're, they're, they had a, a lion as their symbol. Okay. And so they had this back, back and two between the two of them saying, why should we use a... A lion. Yeah. And so a lion is like a bank. It's courageous, makes decisions. Blah, blah, blah. It's fantastic. <laughs> I just realized I, if I want to sell to people, I've got to make them smile. I want them to make them like me. Yeah. Yeah. And these guys were likable. Absolutely wonderful. Um, and I was going to tell you something else about that, and I forgot what it was. <laughs> 
But I mean, it, 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 selling is the most important thing, you know. It, it, if it's not sold, it never happens. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, and and so much of that being likable, entertaining people, making them feel good, can go all the way back to that time in the pub. I mean, that yeah. what do people do in a pub besides, you know, it's just bantering back and forth and making people uh, enjoy each I other, think, enjoy the company. I think the, the trick, the, the important thing about it, emotion overcomes logic. If you look at everything that anybody is doing, particularly in politics at the moment in Brazil, uh, yeah, not so very long ago in the United States, well, still in the United States, very, very emotional. Um, and facts have got nothing to do with it. Yes. It's all to do with the emotion. So the, people buy for emotion reasons, and the facts are only there to buttress their, to, you know, give them, a, you know, a rationale for what they're doing. Yes. When I, I learned early on in, in the business that the most important thing I had to do was to sell my copy. Yeah. That might, yeah. might just well never write it if nobody's about it, if I can't sell it. So I always used to spend a lot of time thinking, how are you selling it? And when I uh, was in over going around the world and doing big presentations, you know, I had to take a lot of trouble about where I was going to sit, you know, yeah, how I was going to stand, what I was going to wear. I always made a point of going to make friends because I worked in 55 countries. So most of them wasn't English. Yeah. Yeah. And I would go, oh, the first people I'd make friends with were the interpreters. <laughs> <laughs> they had to love me, you know, yes, and I'd yes. always go back and say, thank you afterwards. You know? Yeah. And you have to think about in any business context, you always have to think about who really matters. Huh? Yeah. What really matters. So I spent a lot of time studying that sort of thing. And what matters to the interpreter is going to be different than what matters to the client that matters to the whoever. I just so, want them to like me and want to help me, you know? Yeah, that goes a long way. Well, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to pull one more story out of you and then we need to wrap up. Um, so okay. at one point you actually worked as a freelance copywriter for the Franklin Mint, very famous uh, direct response business. And you even wrote copy for what became one of their most successful products. But in your book, you don't necessarily claim all the credit for the copy being what was so brilliant, but you did make a strong recommendation to them. So can you tell just a little bit about that story and then like the lesson that well, we Well, because away? if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. So the mo most important thing is that it happens. And yeah. this was actually uh, for the 25th, Anniversary. This shows you how long ago. I think twenty fifth of Queen Elizabeth, the one who's just died. Yeah. And everybody else in the room was not English. They were either American or French or whatever. Yeah. And they they and it was a I forget what it was. It was some sort of thing. Gizmo. Like collectible coins or something. Yeah. No, it wasn't a coin. No, it was it was a. A brooch or something. There was something, something like that. Okay. Or, and I, they all said, "Oh no, it's not." And I said, "Well, I'm the only person here who's English, and I tell you, this is going to sell." Yes. Because the most one of the great lines that I like is, "The gifted product is is mightier than a gifted pen." Yes. Um, and it's it's the product you want. 
give me a, I, give me a good product I can run. I can sell, you know, so-so copy. Yeah. yeah. I learned a lot from the Franklin men. I remember I, what happened was a guy, this guy rang me up. He said, I hear you're a pretty good copywriter. I said, that's very kind of you. And he said, well, he said, uh, you're good at selling directly. And I said, oh, yeah, I've done a bit of that. And he said, why don't you come and see me? He said, I'm the Franklin Mint. And I said, what's the Franklin? No, I'm the Franklin Advertising. I said, what's Franklin Advertising? He said, we do the advertising at Franklin Mint. I said, oh, you sell the stuff that people, to people who don't know what to collect. And he said, that's right. <laughs> And I got the first job was to sell a collection of medals celebrating the achievements of the Belgian kings. Now, the Belgian kings, apart from the Mexican uh, uh, presidents, were the most unpleasant bunch you could imagine. Yeah? <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> yeah, completely useless. Um, so it wasn't easy. But yes. I wrote the copy and I came in to see him a week later and I charged him more than I'd ever charged before, 500 pounds, which today would be, I don't know, 5,000, I think. No, probably more. Um, and uh, he was a lovely guy. I loved him. And he's, he, he was so funny. I like people who are funny. I don't see, I don't want to go into the bloody, I, I don't have an office, I do all my work from here. But when I did, I didn't want to go into the office and be bored shitless, you know? Yeah. So he started reading it out and he read the first sentence, and he read it with very, and then he stopped and then he looked at me and he said, he said, what do you think should come next? And I looked at him and I said, I'll do it again. <laughs> because I knew what he was saying in a polite way was that it didn't have the essential function. The essential function in your copy is that each sentence must make you want to read the next sentence. Yes. And that's why it's so important that you order things, you know, in the right way. I, I, I find that when, when, when I'm editing copy, I, I will often have to start at the top and I'll just go through again. And I'll start at the top and I'll go through again and I'll start at the top because I want it. And oftentimes I'm reading it out loud because it's it it has to make sense and it has to my well, inner reading monologue. Reading it out loud to... is a good idea because a yeah. lot of people who never forget that a lot of people are not very literate and inside their heads they're reading it out loud. Mm -hmm. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, um, you said you're not retiring, that it's akin to giving up <laughs> uh so what's what's coming next in the life of drayton bird what's coming next in the life of drayton bird only occurred to me about four days ago and i i've done a lot of public speaking and i was i used to be ill so so and i've run some a series of events and i'm going to do one last event um in england in london um and I'm, I've got together some pretty impressive people to come along and talk. Um, uh, one person who actually I worked with me and worked for me just agreed to speak. Um, and she's, uh, she is a part owner of an extraordinarily uh, successful investment firm. And she'll probably talk about how you, but she's also, uh, 
when I met her, she's an extraordinary woman. She um, she was a, studied philosophy at a uh, university in Italy, and when they asked her to join the faculty, she said no. And they said, <laughs> why? She said, too much politics. And she went into internet gaming. <laughs> and then she saw me speak at a university in, uh, in London and said, I'd like to work for you. Um, she said, I've done all the jobs at this firm that I work for now. <laughs> so I went to, and she worked for me and she's better than me. And then she started her own business with somebody else. And the minute they told me um, uh, the name of the firm, before they even told me what they were going to do, I said, you're going to make millions, which they are. I'm going to get her to talk. Well, I've got, I'm going to get um, quite a number of people whom I regard as being superior uh, to come along. Yeah. Well, the best people I can find um, in the world. Uh, and certainly I hope the most entertaining people because you can't bore people into buying as David Overly pointed out to me on one point. Yeah. Um, so that's what I'm going to do in, in June. Um, and we're renting a, a particular hotel so that it will be an event where people will be able to talk to people all the time. Uh, it will be a, yes. Although, I, I, from what I can gather from the initial responses, we may have to rent extra places, you know. But um, I've been doing these things for a long time. Um, the first time I was asked to speak in public, I, was, I just said, I can't, I'm too frightened. Um, and I, I had to take two large blue Valium and two large brandies. And I'd said, I remember, this is when we started our agency, and I, I said, I've been asked to speak to this thing. I said, but would you, one of you like to do it? I said, because I can't do it. And they said, yeah. weren't you the guy who said you'd walk up and down the street setting fire to things if, if necessary in order to make this business. I so actually thought I'd walk up and down Bond Street strangling people to make it succeed. <laughs> they said, well, you better do the bloody talk, haven't you? <laughs> so I'd taken these very stimulants and there were 120 <laughs> publishers and I did my talk. And then after I finished, I turned to, to somebody who worked for me. I said, was I any good? <laughs> she said, yeah. And I said, why? And she said, because you knew what you were talking about. <laughs> a lot of people are, uh, rely on bullshit um, uh, because I feel in inadequate. I think inadequacy is a, great, a very big spur. Every time I get a job that, um, on something I'm not really familiar with or that's new, I feel, oh, Jesus, I can't do this. <laughs> I can't do this. Yeah. Um, I always feel um, I'm a failure until the magic moment when I suddenly, oh, I've succeeded. Um, <laughs> but uh, and now as I'm really old, um, I worry more and more. But I do get, I'm very lucky. I get, uh, I get nice messages from people, but a lot of nice messages from people. Um, uh, yeah. who say, oh, I like that, or they quote me, or this, that, and the other. In fact, the example I was saying, uh, there was one example I, I was going to give 
that somebody wrote to me and said, oh, somebody read your example and has copied it. You know, and I thought, God, you know, this, this is like third, <laughs> at the third level of, of you know, stealing <laughs> ideas. <laughs> Anyhow, anyone who's heard this is more than welcome to steal ideas from me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, excellent. So if, if someone wants to get the details as they come out, on the event that's you said it's June 2023. It's, yeah, it, it, it could even be July. We're not. It really depends on the. Um, okay. My PA is sitting over there looking at me and saying, "Don't owe me a big mouth." <laughs> well, they they can they can go to DraytonBird.com. If you just write to me, Drayton at DraytonBird. It's terrible. Okay. So Drayton at DraytonBird.com. Or and if I'll, you go to my my um, website. Um, yes. Which is with, with the original title of DraytonBird.com, <laughs> there you which go. has got lots of lots of uh, uh, flattering comments on it, many from people I didn't pay. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, quite a few of them from Americans, oddly enough. Quite a few uh, Americans who've said nice things about me, yeah. because so America still is the place, you know, when it comes to it's still the oh. place. There's a there's a lot, but um, you know, it's I, I I understand that there was uh, some uh, quite a few years ago, a few decades ago, there was some decisions made about sharing lists in direct mail in the United States that businesses could rent each other's lists, and in Europe there was some decisions that yeah. businesses could not rent each other's lists, yeah. and it significantly. Um, increase the motivation to go into direct response in America. And because there was the motivation, a you lot could of rent lists in England. It's only uh, uh, Germany in particular, not surprisingly, <laughs> makes it difficult. Okay. Um, God, I used to have to go there and judge all. I remember I, one last story. I used to have to go to, I handled the American Express account around the world. That was the penalty uh, that I was given for being made vice chairman. I said, we'll make you vice chairman. He said, well, you've got to handle American Express. <laughs> and I used to go to Germany, and they're not very hospitable there. They really weren't. Everywhere else, somebody would meet you and, you know, take you to the hotel. No, there, you, you, none of that nonsense there. And I remember going, reading some copy, and I said, tell me what this says, Bob. And I said, next time I come to here, I will be able to read the copy. And they said, oh, stupid Englishman. <laughs> and I was going on holiday to uh, Barbados, and I spent 10 days taking a, a course. And of course, okay. copy, doesn't, copy doesn't normally have very complicated words in it. And I came back a month and a half later, and I read the copy, and they were surprised. And I was <laughs> pleased. <laughs> Because it's nice to be right every now and then. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Excellent. So um, I guess in just wrapping up, I'll link people to your website where they can sign up for your email list and they can email you at drayton.com if they're interested in joining you. I will also include links to your books on Amazon. There were questions that we weren't able to get to and stories we weren't able to get to that are in You Did What?, you also have Common Sense Direct and Digital Marketing, which is at least the edition I have as a fifth edition. Yeah, um, 
And I have I have an older version of how to write sales letters that sell that now says how to write sales letters and emails that sell. That's that well, that book. Um, that is a good book. Somebody I admire a lot, an American copyright. He said, he said, I've read all the books on it. He said, this is the best one. Oh, um, excellent. It is. Bob Bly. It's, That's it's, Bob it's, Bly who said that, actually. And he doesn't, okay. he doesn't. I'm trying to see if I can get him to come and talk at my event. I don't think he, I know I'm going to get a, a, some, a few people. I'm going to get at least one extremely funny person. Uh, <laughs> and it's not me. The <laughs> <laughs> uh, guy who's uh, uh, actually Australian originally, um, but he's very, very funny. But he's very, very good at getting money out of people. So he's going to talk about how to get money out of people. <laughs> It's a good He's better than me. <laughs> <laughs> Most people are. <laughs> yeah, okay. Oh, excellent. Well, Drayton, oh. thank you so much. Um, I really appreciate it. Uh, to everybody who has joined us for this episode, thank you so much. Uh, I hope you got a ton of value. I'd love to hear in comments with this episode, you know, what your takeaways or action items were. And yeah, I'm Roy Fur. This is Breakthrough Marketing Secrets, and I'll catch you again in the next episode. I'll see you soon. Thank you once again for tuning in to this daily episode of Breakthrough Marketing Secrets. Remember, check out the links with this episode for even more value. Now make sure you like, comment, share, subscribe, and engage in every way you can to keep this show going and growing and delivering daily value to you. I'll catch you soon for your next big breakthrough.